Welcome back to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. I'm Jeremy in Utah. And I am Ken in Indiana. Look at these threads. Look at these threads. Not even an Angels fan. I'm not an Angels fan. Nope. But it's opening day, unless you're watching the premiere on YouTube, and then it's opening day eve. Huzzah! (laughs) But, uh, yeah, in case you didn't know, the audio version gets uploaded hours after the video version, so maybe that's important for people to know right from the get-go. If they want to be on the cutting edge, YouTube is the place to be. Yeah, and you can you can see this sweet throwback Angels jersey that I got for twenty dollars on eBay. Nailed it. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Why are we talking about that, Ken? I don't hey, know. You brought it up. My fault. My bad. We we're here today to play for you an interview that we had with the one and only Bob Coughlin. This is a very encouraging conversation. Mm-hmm. I think you will walk away from this episode thinking, well, that was edifying because he is such a generous, gracious, patient, kind soul. And the conversation we just really, really enjoyed, uh, got to ask him anything we wanted, uh, which very nice of him. (laughs) Maybe if he knew us beforehand, he would have said, Hey, stay away from this, stay away from that. But he, he was very kind to just answer anything we asked and well over an hour with him. So we really hope, uh, that you find this to be encouraging and edifying and let us know what you think about our podcast. Go on over to iTunes or uh, whatever program you use to listen to this and give us a rating um, and drop a review. That'd be helpful. Anything else to add, Kenneth? Nope. I think that covers it. Enjoy the interview that we had with Bob Coughlin on the other side of the music. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic, it's watered down, it has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. It's our joy to welcome the director of Sovereign Grace Music, whose mission is to produce Christ-exalting songs and training for local churches from local churches. He is the author of several books, including Worship Matters, has written or contributed to many songs, blogs at worshipmatters.com, and serves as one of the pastors at Sovereign Grace Church in Louisville. To learn more and access the many resources available, visit sovereigngracemusic.com and worshipmatters.com. Bob Coughlin, a man of many hats... (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's my joy to be here, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. Hey, one of the uh, hats that wasn't in that bio is the Sound Plus Doctrine podcast that launched within yes. this last year. And the goal of that was to help uh, those who plan, lead, and participate in their church's worship uh, Sunday gatherings. What mm-hmm. was lacking in the greater Christian conversation that made you want to take on this project? 
Wow. I think uh, it's part of the nature of communication. You know, you, you, we've been, I've been leading conferences since the early 2000s. Um, and that information just kind of gets swallowed up, gets lost. Um, you know, wrote Worship Matters back in 2008. And it's just not always accessible. People don't like to read books. And so I wanted to provide a format where we could have conversations about some of these things with my good friend, David Zimmer. Uh, he, we co-hosted it together. Um, just get things out on the table in an easily accessible format. So 20 to 30 minutes, listen to it while you're exercising, driving your car, you know, just whatever. And it's it seems to be fruitful. I mean, people are listening which is helpful. People are watching. It's not like the world needed one more podcast, but we're just, I think once we get something out there, it's available and it's just one more way to uh, get these conversations. Uh, we're trying to bring, you know, a biblical theological perspective, uh, Christ exalting gospel centered perspective to these, to different issues that people who plan and lead their Sunday services face. Yeah, I've I've found it to be extremely practical as someone who, you know, pastors a smaller church. I also play guitar on Sunday mornings. Uh, um, and we've got a couple other guys who are involved in music too, and then leading music and just sharing that information with them. So we're all on the same page in our hearts with what we're trying yes. to accomplish and and just the practical information in there has been very helpful. I love that the cookies get brought to the bottom shelf, uh, so to speak, in uh, <laughs> walking through uh, the Sunday morning gathering. It's been that's really, where we all, really instrumental. That's where we all live, Jeremy. <laughs> you know, there's enough lofty presentations, theological prof profundities, that, which are really important. I don't want to minimize that. I, but if you don't bring it down to the bottom of the shelf, uh, people walk around thinking they're living in the good of what you know God has given us, and really they're not. They're they're just you know mouthing the right words. And of course, I've been doing this now for forty years or so, and you just meet person after person after person there, where there's that gap. So yeah, that is one of the things we're seeking to do: uh, make it make theology practical uh, and applicable. As you have you know gone into that podcast and have worked through some things, what have you learned so far about your audience and maybe even just podcasting in general? I think of a, there's so many different ways to. That's a great question. There's so many different ways to do a podcast. You know, I know some people research hours and hours and hours, and and they do a podcast, and uh, it's it can be really great, really helpful. That's not our podcast, uh, unless you think of it as you know we've been researching this stuff for 40 years and, and now we're sharing what we're, uh, what we've discovered. So I like to think of it as if I was sitting across the table from someone who came into town and wanted to talk about this topic, what would I share with them? And it's, it's so it's very conversational. Uh, and I think the, I've been surprised really at the people who are listening to it. My wife listens to it. I couldn't even get her to read my book, <laughs> but I think she, maybe she has, I don't know, but she listens to it. And I, I was just what? so shocked, but I think that's the conversational nature of it. And it is intended for anyone really who, you know, wants to grow in their understanding of what exactly are we doing on Sunday mornings? And we, we laugh a lot. And uh, it's just a great time. So I think we're aiming at the the smaller church, uh, pastor, music leader, member. Um, and I think we're hitting a lot of those. We've, we've heard really from different places throughout the world that people are listening. Mm -hmm. And that's just, that's gratifying because we want to serve those who are doing the work uh, in local churches. 
Amen. Your your son Devin joined you for a few episodes, and that was a joy to hear <clears throat> to hear hear you guys talk about his uh, <laughs> growing up and the times that you guys got along and the times you didn't. Uh, oh yes, <laughs> there were a few of those, <laughs> but a couple but, of years of those. <laughs> He's a music leader in Maryland, and so he yes. brings uh, that sort of, yeah, yeah, uh, that local church perspective he, he brought into those episodes, and it, it was sweet to hear you interact with him. Uh, your son, Jordan, is also very much involved at Sovereign Grace yes. Music, and he wrote All I Have is Christ, a song that yes. many of us know, um, is an amazing Amazing work of the Lord through his yeah, life. Yeah. And you've got four daughters who are walking with yeah. the Lord. So you've got six yeah. children, By his 19, mercy. 19 grandchildren, two more grandchildren on the way. Coming, coming this year. Yeah. Lord are Lord. you just like the proudest dad ever? I, I think I'm the proud, proudest <laughs> grandfather. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm always looking ways for ways to slip that into the conversation. Part of it is just to say, you know what? The Lord did say, be fruitful and multiply. Big families are good. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, when you've been a parent for 41 years, you, you realize this isn't about you. And having six kids, you, they're so different. And if we had stopped after two, we would have thought we were amazing parents. And then Devin came along and we realized we weren't amazing parents, and uh, especially me. And I learned so much from his you know, period of rebellion, about 12 to 14 years old. Um, it served me so much. And then, you know, God gave us our fifth child who just seemed to love the Lord from, from her early cognizant moments. Mm. Um, but you, you just are more aware of God's mercy and the need to be faithful, the need to pray, the need to, you know, instruct your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But it's really in his hands. And we are just so, so grateful that we have the opportunity to have children and then grandchildren. So I try to work that into the conversation just to say, this yeah. is a good thing. It's a good thing to have big families. And, Amen. You know, there are dividends. It, and I hear in the podcast a grandfather's heart coming through. I, I hear a heart of experience and a heart uh, of, of love for your children that comes through, especially those episodes when Devin was on. It, it just sounded like a sweet father-son relationship, uh, the way that God has designed it to be. And that yeah, that yeah. element, was uh, apart from all the talk about music and everything else, just that element of the podcast was a blessing to, to oh, hear your so story. And, and it really is uh, just an amazing thing that you're here talking to us because we both really look up to you and your ministry. We've been affected greatly by your ministry. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I, was, I was thinking about if I should say this to you before we started, and I thought, no, I'm going to save it because I want our audience to hear it. I, 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 I don't want to puff you up or anything. And I know uh, you that know, that I you're, have you're plenty of people around at, me who will, who will counteract that. Okay. Okay, good. Um, but I really do think uh, you are one of the most important figures in recent church history. Mm-hmm. The way that the Lord has placed you in that ministry where music has been channeled through Sovereign Grace to countless churches around Mm. the globe, that has affected more people than some of the most amazing authors that we could think of today. Mm. Uh, Very few people Mm. are going to sit down and read a theological work, uh, an extended book on a topic, but so many people are going to learn songs and sing songs, and God has put you in that position, and for you to be faithfully serving there and blessing literally countless people around mm-hmm. the world uh, because of 
the position you're in, it's just an amazing thing. And uh, we really, truly, deeply appreciate the music uh, yeah. that has come from Sovereign Grace Ministries and your role in all of that. That's very, very kind. And my elders would mock me incessantly if I told them <laughs> that you said that uh, because they're good friends. And I would just say two things. I'm just so grateful for what I get to do and that, you know, it, I do have an opportunity to to bring glory to the Savior, to Jesus Christ, who has changed my life 48 years ago. Uh, you know, I was raised Roman Catholic and didn't know the Lord. And uh, someone shared the gospel with me when I was uh, 17, first freshman in college. Um, I'm just so grateful I get to bring honor to him through, through what we do. And the other thing is I have been surrounded by uh, people who have modeled things for me, fed me, you know, some from far off, like uh, a John Piper or you know, D.A. Carson or even a Harold Best, who wouldn't be, mm. might not be known to many, but um, used to be dean of music at Wheaton College and mm. wrote a book called Music Through the Eyes of Faith, which profoundly shaped how I think about music in the congregational setting. And then locally, um, two men, C.J. Mahaney and Jeff Perswell, dearest friends who, um, man, they helped me not be an idiot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, they come through, <laughs> through every word of uh, worship matters and, and help me, you know, at times say things better. Um, CJ's pastoral giftings and theological discernment. Jeff's, Jeff is a, he's just a dear friend, a pastor, but a brilliant theological mind. So I've had guys like that around me and uh, people who have modeled things for me. So we always stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us yeah. uh, in a distant way and then in a personal way. And I have sought uh, increasingly, you know, through the over the years as I've, I've gotten older to just always not just remember that, but to say it hmm. because we we are so easily caught up in the, the sense of, oh, I'm bearing fruit. Oh, oh, but you know why you're bearing fruit? Because other people loved you and cared for you and challenged you and spoke to you when you needed to be spoken to. And, and God put those people in your life. And so it just, it causes your heart to, to rise up with things like gratefulness and amazement yeah. and wonder uh, rather than, wow, aren't I great? Hmm. You know, because I'm not. I, 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 just, <laughs> I just, just look at your life and, you know, you know yourself better than anybody around you. And you sometimes just think, what am I doing? How, how can I even do this? But then the Lord in his kindness uses us. And, of course, you see that if we read through the scriptures. Yes. And see who he used. And you just go, wow. We just don't realize that we're as bad or worse than some of the characters in, in the Bible. So Very, very true. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned coming to know the Lord um, back in the 1970s. And yeah. if we could take a, a mental trip back to the 1970s, you were going to college in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yes. and, and after being born again, you ended up joining a band called GLAD, uh, all yes. caps, G-L-A-D. Yeah, all caps. Caps, and, yeah. And it doesn't stand for anything. 
the the name no, Glad doesn't. doesn't. It's not an acronym, no. even though it's in all no. caps. And I was reading that the name was chosen based on a poll that you guys took in a shopping yeah. mall. Can, can you yeah. tell us yeah. more about that story? Oh man, you've done your research. You just lost. It. We're losing listeners by the second. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, actually, I was part of that band, 1972, freshman in college. The band was put together. Another band had fallen apart. They were called the Brethren. We didn't like that name, so we took a poll, and I think that was Glad was actually the second. The, it plays second, but we liked it better than the first place name. Um, and we played through school, played through college. And uh, it was just, you know, the the, the embryonic for, uh, time of Christian music, contemporary Christian music. Yeah. Um, so when I graduated, all of us graduated in 76, we went full time. And it was a step of faith. But I stayed with the band for eight years and continued to write with them hmm. for them for like 25 more years. What was the genre? Well, back at the time, it was contemporary Christian. You know, it wasn't rock. There'd be mm. elements of jazz, fusion, rock, folk, classical, because I was classically trained. So we were definitely, as people find this hard to believe, we were definitely cutting edge for the late 70s. Hmm. Um, you know, we, we'd fall into that genre of alternative, uh, you know. We had a couple number one hits on the radio, um, but 1988, we released the acapella project right. and that changed everything. Mm -hmm. um, we'd always been interested. We'd always done some acapella stuff on the albums, but in the Lord's timing, as the Lord would have it, that album just, just scratched an itch and we sold out the first two week or two. They had printed 20,000 copies. They sold out and sold a hundred thousand that year. Wow. And that's what most people think of when they think of glad they think of uh, acapella music, mm -hmm. but we had done five or six albums that with instruments before that. You mentioned that a lot of the music was kind of cutting edge for that time. Did you experience any kind of pushback or uh, opposition oh, to that, in, yes. with, especially within more conservative churches? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, our booking agent was uh, from an Assembly of God school. So he had called up all his friends and we played a lot of AG churches. Um, but as well as, as well as other churches, yeah, that was the day when you were, some churches you bring in your drums and there'd be someone standing there with a scowl on their face. Thinking, <laughs> what are you going to do with those? Uh, you're not putting them on the front, in the front. I mean, we'll put them somewhere. We had someone run up to us in a concert. This was at a, at a like a college. Someone run up to us during a drum solo and start trying to cast the demons out of the drums. Uh, so it was, <laughs> you're welcome to everyone who uses drums in the services. <laughs> I'm one of those who you know, helped blaze the trail mm -hmm. for that. Yeah, definitely. Um, we had an album cover for our second album with a girl holding a, a, a ball of light and um, there were stores that wouldn't carry it. It didn't mean anything. It's, it was called Beyond a Star. It was the name of the, the album. But there were uh, bookstores that wouldn't carry it mm. because of demonic you know, associations. I don't know. What was it like to process some of that? You know, as you're, as you're seeing success in some areas, but push back in other places, how do you process that? And what, I'm also curious, you know, you, you were raised, raised Catholic. What did your Catholic parents think of all that? Oh, they were happy that I was doing something I loved. They were happy I was using my music uh, to do something I loved. Mm. So I think that's, that's as far as it went. Uh, it, I wish I had learned more from it. I think mm. we just thought we were right. 
And um, so, so you can you can say whatever you want to say, you know, it's the exact opposite of what Paul says in Romans, never be wise in your own sight. You know, well, we thought we were. I mean, hmm. so we had this one number we did at the hymn thing where we take a hymn and do it different ways. You know, the Beach Boys, a jazz version, a rock version, uh, you, you know, say this is how Christian music has developed through the ages. It wasn't quite accurate. But historically, but uh, it at least got the, you know, we were trying to build bridges. We were trying to say, hey, you can think about this differently. Mm. And I, I think um, it did help people, uh, you know, realize what 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 was can be unhelpful is when you, um, you know, m do that in such a way that it disdains what's come before. Mm. And we would never want to do that so that the classical elements would help helping that and just some of the complexity of the music. So we weren't your cutting edge, you know, rock group, the groups like Petra or Sweet Comfort <laughs> Band or, you know, Striper, that'd be even yeah. further along. Man, I, I wish you would have been in Striper. That would have been cool. <laughs> I don't think that was, would have happened. Uh, yeah, so you try and learn, and I think we tried to be uh, winsome, for sure. We didn't carry a chip on our shoulders. We tried to instruct and teach, but most of all, and I think this is what set, has set the group apart for years. I mean, they had a 40 year run. We, we wanted people to, to know the gospel and we wanted people to, to esteem the word of God. So our lyrics would be, would be scripturally rooted and we would challenge, you know, the, the cultural Christianity. And mm. um, we would want to make clear that Jesus Christ is the son of God who lived a perfect life, died as a substitute for our sins to take the wrath of God that we deserve, rose from the dead, is now reigning in glory, interceding for us and one day coming back again. We wanted people to know that mm. and that unless you believed in, in Jesus Christ and who the Bible says he is, you, have, you had no hope of salvation. Amen. So we would we would regularly, um, you know, present the gospel at the end of our our, our uh, concerts and mm. invite people to respond. That's that's great. Uh, what a what an incredible ministry. Uh, after after being with that for about ten years, uh, you gave up that role in order to serve in the local church. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the internal struggle like as you gave up the prospect of? You know, a large platform in your 30s for a much more kind of under the radar mm. kind of ministry? Mm, that's such a great question. I don't think I get it asked it often enough. We were part of a church in Philadelphia at the time, and the pastor was inner city Philadelphia, and the pastor was preaching uh, a series on the redemptive community. And he was describing how a church should be uh, impacting its local community through not only the proclamation of the gospel, but the demonstration of what a gospel. Uh, lived, what a life lived worthy of the gospel looks like. That deeply affected us. And at the same time, I read a book called The, the Radical Christian by a man named Arthur Wallace, a UK author. author. And he said this um, in it. He said, if you would want to make your life count, find out what God is doing in your generation and fling yourself into it. And the combination of those two things, those are the things I remember, made me realize what God's doing in my generation is building the local church. That's, that's what he's doing. That's what I'm going That's what I want to fling my life into. And I realized in 1981, I could not do that as part of a band that traveled around the country. Mm -hmm. You know, in 1980, we traveled 220 days 
And this is when that conviction is starting to grow. So in 81, I told the group, we just signed a three album contract. I said, we're, I'm, we're going to leave in three years um, when our contract's done to give ourselves to the local church. And Ken, I've never looked back. Not that I'm against people touring and traveling and you know, that God don't, don't think God can use that in different ways, but giving myself to the local church for the last uh, you know, that was, that would have been 84, 37 years, never looked back once. Hmm. Hmm. You eventually found Covenant Life Church, uh, now Sovereign Grace Church. H- how did you get connected with Sovereign Grace Ministries? Um, what oh, was, yeah. How did you discover them? How did they discover you? What was that yeah, relationship like? No, that, that goes way back. So I've known CJ, he's my senior pastor now. I've known him for, since the mid seventies. And um, we were in the D.C. area. He came up to our church in Philadelphia in the late 70s. And we were just talking about this the other day because we had him on our podcast, the Samplest Doctrine podcast. Mm. Um, I was testifying one Sunday morning how our car had been stolen that morning from in front of our house and how we were trusting the Lord. And, you know, he's always good. And just just presenting this you know, we're good. This is, and this was in Philadelphia when you were in Philadelphia. Okay. Gotcha. So he was speaking that morning. That's the first he remembers seeing me and meeting me. Um, he was helping to lead a a meeting in the DC area called tag at that time, which was every Tuesday nights. There'd be, uh, at at its peak, there were about 2000 people coming for a hour of singing, hour of teaching pretty much. And uh, it was, uh, so we were going to that. He was one of the speakers. And then he started a church um, with, with some folks and uh, that eventually became Sovereign Grace Churches. Um, so I was in from the early, early, early days, 1981, 82. Um, so I've been with Sovereign Grace for, it'll be 30, 40 years this year. Yeah, 40 years. Wow. Yeah, so I became a pastor in 85 and uh, I've been in four different churches, I think. Okay. One, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and then I became the, the head of the, the music in kind of in 97. Uh, I've been in this role, so about, about 24 years. Um, it's been more official in the last 15, 20, yeah. I, see, I guess. Doing what I do. time, time flies, huh? It does. It does. And it's, it's great to see how much the Lord can accomplish Mm, as time flies. He's been very kind. Well, if we could fast forward just a little bit as the Lord has blessed your ministry. I'm sure we've lost half, whoever's (laughs) listening, we've lost half of them. This is great. Um, You've, you've kind of become a bit of a a coveted conference music leader here in America, you know, Shepherd's (laughs) Conference, Together for the Gospel, National Founders Ministry Conference, among Uh, others. What's the biggest difference between leading music in a, in a conference setting versus the local church setting? And do you have a preference between the two? Oh, and uh, hands down local church. No question. Uh, You know, in a conference, you're seeking to serve people from different backgrounds, different, different places, maybe even different theological perspectives. You have no idea where people are at. And you're just seeking in those three days, usually two, three days, to point them to Christ, to point them to his sufficiency, to point them to the the power and beauty and inerrancy and infallibility of God's word. Um, and you're using music, you know, and spoken and speaking to do that. You're you're hopefully, I mean, what I'm trying to do is hopefully um, magnify the word that's being preached. So I, I did have the opportunity just recently to lead uh, for the Founders Conference. Um, they just asked me a month before the conference to do it. Um, 
and with COVID and everything, I, I wasn't even sure whether I should do that, uh, but I did. And um, it was great. It was the doctrine of Christ was the theme. Uh, sorry, no, it wasn't the doctrine. It was um, the doctrine of God. But man, what great messages to lead after. And to leave, you know, it's just like, okay, we can feed on these things. So that's a conference. Uh, you'll never see those people again. Yeah. Leading in my local church, oh man, it's an ongoing diet. It, it's it's a you know, we're we're discipling people over the long haul. Um we are we are feeding them, you know, week after week after week, helping them grow not only in their relationship with with the Lord, but their relationship with each other. So as I look out, I mean, obviously everybody's wearing masks right now, but as I look back out and see these people, I'm seeing people that I I know their problems. I I know their their victories. I I know the struggles that they're facing. I know their families. I know, and I am uh, thinking about how these words, these songs, are affecting them. It affects the songs I choose. Hmm. Um, it affects the way I lead them at times, and it's it's just different. I think it's the difference at a conference. You're you're building people into Christ in your church. You're also building them into each other. You know, and that that's what that's what's supposed to happen on Sundays. We're yeah. speaking, we're addressing one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're we're uh, being built into Christ, but also the body's being built up as each part does its work. Hmm. So I definitely, if I had to give up one in a second, I'd give up conferences. Hmm. Um, although no, it's a great I, honor, I, and I don't, I don't, I don't, <laughs> don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> it's a great privilege to do that, but uh, yeah, I love my local church. Now, I've tapped into some of the recent Sovereign Grace Church live streams that uh, oh. have been broadcast on the YouTube channel. And uh, you yeah, guys which we would never hotel. do before COVID. We would never do yeah. before COVID because we value the meeting so much. Sure. Sure. Well, well you're in a hotel now uh, yeah. as a result yeah. of COVID. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because the setup... I, I, our audience, when they think Bob Coughlin, they think Guy at Shepherd's Conference or whatever conference yeah, up there yeah. leading thousands, you know, that's that's Bob Coughlin. Yeah. And then if <laughs> if someone listening wants to do this, if you go back and you look at the live stream from your church, there's no, there are no lights, there's no smoke, there's no, no there's just one camera angle. It's just like yep. fixed right there. It's yep. very modest looking. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and here you are as this man who has led thousands cooperating with lay people and it just feels weird <laughs> for those of us who have known you as like for lack of a better term you're the performer you know yeah, and here you yeah, are here yeah. you are with these lay people can you walk us through the dynamic of working with a local praise band on sunday mornings wow well you you mentioned a couple of things that i wanted to address I, I mean just let me just say that i think it's important for those who minister to to minimize as much as possible the line between your public uh, activity and your your private life, your, your everyday life. Mm -hmm. I, I seek to do that in every conference I lead. You know, we'll have people over to the house during the conference, and have my kids involved if, if you know there's reason for that to, to happen. I just want to I want people to see this is not we're not like putting on a show here. This is this is just our life. This is what we do. And we're seeking to honor Jesus in, in, in everything we do under the authority and, and of his word and fueled by his word, empowered by his spirit. 
that that's what our goal is, mm-hmm. you know, seeking to bring glory to God through Jesus Christ and the power of the spirit. So I, I think that's just a, 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 a value that I've seen modeled in people around me and have sought to take on as my own. So when I lead uh, with lay people, as you refer to them, as uh, you know, we have a lot of college students here. There's a seminary in town, Southern Seminary Boys College. Uh, we, we have a number of students who uh, are participating, as well as people who just live in Louisville. And um, I'm just doing, telling them to do the same thing. You know, I, I, we, we have our gifts, we have our, our um, opportunities to serve the church, and I see it as a privilege. You know, I want them to see it as a privilege. And I will walk through uh, the meeting with the, the team every, every Sunday. So we'll, we'll, get it, we'll get set up, and I'm there helping set up. You know, it's not, it's not like I get an mm-hmm. exception, although I, I think before too long, I should start using my age as an exception. Uh, <laughs> give me give me some leeway there. But I'm there helping set up, moving, you know, crates in and cases in and, um, yes, yeah, set up my piano and uh, we'll, we'll get our monitor mixes set up. And then I'll gather everybody in the middle and we'll just talk about the the order of the, the service, the liturgy. And I'll walk them through. Here's the call to worship. Here are the songs we're going to do. Here's the scripture we're going to read. Here are some more songs. Here's um, you know, what the sermon's going to be on. Here's what the benediction's going to be. The song we're doing. I'll, I'll explain all that to them because I want them more conscious of what God's doing through his word hmm. than of like whether or not they get the entrance exactly right or, you know, we, we get all the chords right. Now, we work on that too, but I want all that to be fed by the knowledge of what we're doing. So if that's my focus on a Sunday morning, well, that's the same thing I'm focusing on at a conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, every church, every conference has the same tools to use. Um, we have the, the word of God, which is the power of God. We have the gospel. I'm sorry, we have the gospel, which is the power of God. We have the word of God, which is, you know, uh, his, his speaking to us. We have the spirit of God, who indwells us, and then we have his people uh, who he works through. Um, Everybody has the same things. Hmm. So if I keep that as my focus, then all the other things, lighting, equipment, video, uh, size, all those are secondary. Hmm. Those are all relative. Jesus, you know, might receive more glory in our eyes, you know, if there's a crowd of 12,000 versus a crowd of 12, but he's no less glorious in either setting. So if I'm thinking of those things, it, it really helps me. You know, I I go to Sunday mornings, the Sunday gathering excited, filled with Mm. faith. I I get to see the Lord uh, work in people's hearts. And that's thrilling that he would even Mm. use us to do that. And so, yeah, we do the musical things too, but. And you said that you've got friends there who keep you humble, right? So it's not like, uh, it's not like you show up and someone blows the shofar and announces you're, uh, (laughs) you're walking into the building. We live in a culture of mocking and it's good, friendly mocking. And, uh, we all do it to each other and CJ leads the way in that. And all the elders are, are very good at that. But we're also encouraging. I should say that that's that's um, rooted in a culture of encouragement. So I I feel genuinely valued, appreciated 
um, uh, you know, guys will comment occasionally, you know, I forget sometimes that you're, you're here and, you know, cause you just do this every Sunday and, you know, they'll say things like that, but, but I, that's not why I do it. And I don't want to be treated special. We're, we're here to honor Jesus. And I'm not saying that in a pietistic way where I would have said it that way a few years ago, hmm. we really, we, we've gathered to honor the Lord. Um, and if there are things we're doing wrong, let's point them out things we're doing that are foolish let's let's laugh at them uh because then jesus looks all the more glorious that he would use Amen. people like us you you mentioned a moment ago the public persona aspect um you know your, your public and your private to keep that line yes uh, yes and there between the two um and, I, and i've heard you speak in the past when you were first starting to write music and put out tapes and things that it was a it was a very regional affair. Christian music was. It wasn't. Yes, uh, yes. Th- the idea of writing music for the global church just wasn't really on the on the radar. No, it and wasn't. And so, I'm wondering, c- considering these things, has the phenomenon? I guess we can call it a phenomenon, mm-hmm. uh, or the evolution of the Christian music industry. Has it been net positive or net negative for the spiritual health of the church? Wow, that is a great question, Jeremy. I don't know if I have the answer. Uh, It's only the Lord knows the answer to that. Because I could give you, I could list off the positives and the negatives. Hmm. And and one of the ways I'd answer that would be to say, uh, we can't see all the positives because they're not in the limelight. You know, there there are millions of people who have never heard of some of the greatest stuff that the Lord's doing right now. Mm, yeah, and and so, you know, I I've, I remember writing a, a post years ago about they they had sung the song "Shout to the Lord" on American Idol, and everybody made a big deal about mm-hmm. it. Oh, shout to the Lord! And I thought through it and just came to this place where I where I, I believe that. It, you can't tell one way or the other whether that's a gain for the kingdom. Yeah. We don't know. What we can do is pray. What we can do, you know, is pray for, for instance, ministries. Um, Bethel, uh, you know, Hillsong, I know those are the elevation. Those are the ones that people take pot shots at. And we can pray for them. Hmm. And, you know, I know some people at Hillsong, dear, you know, dear people, um, I w- wouldn't commend some of the things that Hillsong do. And obviously there's lot, lots going on there. Um, but um, I, I want to pray and I do pray for them. I want to pray that, you know, the gospel come through clearly, that the word be preached clearly, that uh, Jesus be magnified and exalted, that people live holy lives I don't want to just stand in criticism over places. I, I want to be a means that, you know, God would use to, to see the name of Christ exalted because at the end, that's, what's going to happen. Hmm. You know, uh, he, his name is going to be exalted. Hmm. So am I going to be a part of that? Or am I going to be one of those ones who are just kind of mixed? You know, sometimes I exalt that, sometimes I don't. And um, you know, so I could say there are many wonderful things about how, um, you know, Christian music, even with the gospel in it, has made inroads into so many different places that it never would have before. <laughs> you know? But the danger is that as you get into the world, the world gets into you. Yeah. And we've seen that. But, but 
I could say the same thing about conservative churches, you know, who are maintaining a standard of, you know, holiness and right preaching. And and, then you see leaders fall and you go, well, that's because of your theology. Eh, I don't (laughs) think so. I think that's because of your sinful heart, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and that's in everybody. So I think in every you know church and ministry that preaches the gospel, there's this mixture of people who really want to please the Lord, maybe haven't had good teaching, uh, maybe are deceived you know in their own hearts, uh, you know maybe culturally they've been affected. I mean there's just all kinds of of uh, reasons why things are the way they are. But I, I certainly want in any situation to believe the best and to do all I can to help this person, whoever it is, you know, come to a greater appreciation for God's word and for a greater appreciation for the gospel and the local church. And I would say the power of God's spirit, because I think, you know, on the conservative side, there are, are people who, who say all the right things, but you just don't get the, ever get the sense that they, they expect to encounter God anywhere. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just like he's in a book. And I, we got we got all our doctrine right, but you know the Father heart of God, the, the, the compassion of Jesus, whose heart is gentle and lowly. You know, plug Dane Ortland. Dane Ortland, lowly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they just don't seem to experience that or expect to, or you know. And I think no, you're you're missing something mm. that God has for us for His children. So I kind of feel like I'm in the middle. Yeah. You know, wanting everything that the Lord has for us, not wanting, you know, wanting experiences that are um, that are generated by the right things and, and talking more about the affections being changed just than rather than emotions. So because I, th- I think a lot of the back to your question, a lot of the um, emphasis has been more emotional yes. and affectional affections would be and for listeners who might not know what I'm talking about you know emotions are 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 dis- described the way we respond to things affections are why we respond to things so they go deeper than emotions so if if i love the glory of christ i will be emotionally happy when someone comes to know the lord or when his name is honored in some way um, but if if we're just talking about being affected for whatever reason, well, that's emotionalism, and that's bad, and that's something we should we should uh, speak against and not give ourselves to. So, and there's 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 a mixture of that in the you know the, the explosion of the the worship movement. Yeah. Well, with the kind of the globalization of music industry in general, and Christian music is is a part of that. I think maybe some groups can be tempted to kind of just ride the wave of whatever they think is popular or whatever they think is mm-hmm. going to gain mm-hmm. the most level of, mm-hmm. of acceptance or, or fame in the midst of that. Yes. How has how has Sovereign Grace Music been able to maintain its focus on, on things that really matter in the midst, in, in, instead of straying into things of, you know, maybe shallow or even harmful lyrics mm-hmm. in the midst of all that? Man, you guys are asking some good questions. Um, good. Well, we're, the Lord is kind to us in that, you know, we don't have like mega hits. Um, uh, we don't have an artist that we're promoting or, an, you know, a band yeah. that we're promoting. Um, it's just never been what we pursued or sought, sought to do. Um, I think, I mean, for me personally, as the leader, as the director of Sovereign Grace Music, um, it's, it's what does God say he wants singing to do and how can we be a means to that end? God says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That, that's kind of a cornerstone of why we do what we do. We want the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. So that means you can be popular and, and not biblical. You can be unpopular and be biblical. So our focus is not so much on whether or not we're popular as it is whether or not we're being biblical. Amen. So that's the first thing. And added to that, you know, you got to ask the question, are we getting these songs out to as many people as we can? So that would that would go into areas like video and production. And so we, we did some videos for our Christmas album that we actually spent money for. We usually don't spend money, very much money for our videos, which is not the wisest thing, you know. Um, but we're always looking for ways to do things more organically than just to pay somebody a lot of money um, to do something. Another thing that we've been very hesitant about is just kind of linking arms with artists or ministries or churches and stuff because it's there's something that's very appealing about that just to say um hey i'll scratch your back you scratch mine i'll I'll talk about your album you talk about ours but i i avoid that because i don't want to be locked into automatically saying something's great and helpful when i don't think it's great and helpful um, you know, give you an example. Someone just sent me a, a, a kid's curriculum that they'd done. And uh, they asked me if I'd look at it, maybe endorse it. So I thought, well, because they had used one of, some of our songs. I looked at it and it was gold. That's what I said in my endorsement. It's gold. This, this musically, theologically, Christ exalted. It's uh, practical, methodologically. Um, the, the work they've done for you, for a kid's ministry or for your family devotion, it's gold. Well, mm-hmm. I, I'm happy to do that. It's not famous. They're just getting started. But I'd much rather do that than jump on a bandwagon of something that's really popular, has some good points, but yeah, since things I wouldn't really agree with, um, make it a practice never to, you know, endorse a book I haven't read. And, and often, I mean, generally don't endorse books. I don't know the author to some degree, very rarely I would, maybe mm-hmm. someone knows somebody, but, um, same thing would be with music. You know, we're just not throwing out other, you know, commendations without really knowing the people who are, who are involved. So, I mean, it, we're just trying to do what we've been called to do, uh, trying to be faithful. And if the Lord uses it, we're as surprised as anybody. <laughs> well, he has been using it Amen. in yes. huge ways. Uh, I mean, for, I don't know, pe- people like Ken and I, I, I wasn't raised in church, so I wasn't raised in a Christian uh, family at all. And uh, Ken for, comes from um, a, a background that they weren't singing Sovereign Grace songs yeah, every Sunday. Very fundamentalist. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it, so for guys like us, you know, you you're in the Christian world, and when you eventually find Sovereign Grace music, it's such a breath of fresh air, uh, <laughs> and it's it's such a blessing. And and so individually, that has ha- happened. Uh, I, I'm sure just millions of times for people That's who have encountered encountered your music. So it's it's very good stuff. That's our prayer. And, and and we're delighted that, you know, the Lord's raising up people like the Gettys and you know, Matt Boswell and Matt Papa and uh, City of Light and others who are uh, committed to something very similar. And that is, yeah. you know, serving the church through Christ exalting, theologically driven 
musically accessible songs. And, you know, we, we, each of those groups has their different emphases, although Matt, the Matt's are, um, you know, kind of under the Getty umbrella right now, as is my son, Jordan. He helps the Matt Matt Merker. And yeah, Matt Merker, that's Matt. right. The, the Matt and Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's, it's thrilling to us that there are others who are, uh, you have a similar vision because those are the songs I want to sing on Sunday morning. Those are the songs I want to feed my congregation. I want them to learn and know and, and grow with and grow up with. Um, so it's, it's great to be a part of what I, something I think the Lord is doing in, in that realm. Can you walk us through what, what kind of range of emotions you maybe you feel when you're introducing a brand new song for the first time to a congregation? <laughs> well, if I um, think the song's really good, it's excitement. <laughs> and uh, usually I do think the song's really good, or else I wouldn't be introducing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking, emotions, I'm not sure I have many emotions. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to see how the song connects. I'm wanting to see if the people catch on fairly quickly. Uh, I'm wanting to see if they seem to engage with it at some point. And that, you know, that could be through lifted hands or through radiant faces or through louder singing. Um, I mean, there are just a number of ways you can gauge, oh, people are really focused now. So that doesn't always happen the first time you do a song, but uh, it can. And that's, that's a great song. That's a great yeah, sign. There's, there's definitely a difference between they're learning the melody and, yes. oh, they've got the melody. Yes. And when they've got it, that's so exciting. Isn't yeah, it? oh, it is. It is. And then I'll ask people afterwards. And often people will just volunteer. <laughs> say, that new song was so great. Or what was that song? That was so to follow. And, yeah, we only introduce about maybe 12 songs a year, 12, 14 maybe. Because um, mm-hmm. we we're, we just want to be careful about what the songs we we introduce are, and when we find them, you know, we have no problem repeating them. I mean, this last Sunday we did "Is He Worthy" both before mm-hmm. the message and after the message, um, because it just was right. It seemed right mm-hmm. to do, and you know, you you're able to. That's one of the the, the, the characteristics of music is you're able to enjoy thoughts again. Um, because the music provides that medium yeah. through through which you can do that, and you 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 rethink it, and then you are affected all over again. So, uh, I think of music as the way that God gave us to feel the truth. It's not just a head thing; it's a feeling thing. It's a, it's an affection thing, and so yeah, we've uh, occasionally, uh, probably once every couple months, we'll do a song twice in a meeting. Yeah. Uh, because it helps people get those truths in them more deeply. Mm-hmm. Good. You mentioned earlier when you were talking about uh, when you were on tour with Glad, bringing drums in and the looks you would get. Uh, of course, the worship wars kind of escalated and continued on for yes, years after that. And uh, you, you had your hymn-only group or piano-only group versus the more contemporary-leaning people. Yeah. That that war, that particular war, seems to be over, at least way settled down in most circles. Yes. Um, are there any other wars going on or wars that are on the horizon in regards to music in the local church setting that we should be aware of? I think uh, biblical fidelity. Hmm. Um, I, I mean, that's, you know, what what governs our time together? Um, what What saturates our time together? What fuels it? What inspires it? 
um, if it's something other than God's spoken word to us, there's, there's no doubt that we're going to drift um, into preference, into cultural values, into old, maybe even just traditions. Um, so I, I think that churches are going to be deciding in their services and in their times of singing, you know, what really drives and governs this. Uh, because it's not hard. I could lead totally different than the way I do. Um, even though I'm in my sixties, I could, uh, I could still rock a V neck, huh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I could, I could, you know, get a crowd going with a band, um, for no good reason. Hmm. Uh, but I don't want to get a crowd going with for no good reason. Uh, I want to get them going because they see that I love Second Corinthians three eighteen. You know, we all with unveiled face beholding yeah. the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. We're beholding the glory of the Lord, and the the, the main way we're doing that is through His Word. Um, we're seeing His glory there. That's that's what I want people to see. Hmm. So I, I think. You know, it's it's happening now. I mean, there there are groups, churches, ministries that that are that are seeking to affect people by other means, yeah. and they don't have confidence in the word. See, my confidence in the word of God and the gospel has just grown immensely over the years. You know, I realize, oh, that's what I have. It's not how funny I am, or you know how smooth the transitions are, or uh, or you know how personal and believable I am. It's, it's, do people understand the word of God and what he said to us and what Jesus has done and how God's mm-hmm. glory is revealed in that and how that relates to our lives? Um, so I, I think that, yeah, it's going to be, do you believe the Bible or not? Of course, we're seeing that in, in all kinds of ways with, uh, in cultural issues with, uh, you know, sexual identity, gender identity, and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the politicization of, of the faith. And we, we've, we've got to determine what's our authority. And, uh, you know, God has his people who listen to his word and they're glad they hear his voice and they can only hear it because of his mercy. Amen. That, that emphasis is so important. And I really appreciate that, uh, just that overall music philosophy. In fact, you know, back in 2005, you wrote on your website that you like Warren Wearsby's definition of worship, which mm-hmm. is, worship is the believer's response to all that they are, mind, emotions, and body, mm-hmm. to what God is and says and does. And you pitted that definition against your common usage of the word in reference to music alone. So, yeah. yes. that's 2005, 15 years later. Are you still passionate about that issue? And, and can you more shed passionate. a little more? Mm. <laughs> more passionate. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I am a musician. I, I've majored in piano and I have, you know, 20 days, 20 years. I don't know how much I have on my, my iTunes right now. Uh, a lot. Um, and I, yeah, 91 days of music. Um, the uh, so music's powerful, but it is a tool. It is not the truth. Um, it's a tool that, that serves the truth. And it can serve it in wonderful ways. And, you know, I, I find myself speaking to two extremes at times. You know, ones who, ones who people who overemphasize music and it's, it's the effect and its importance. And then people who underemphasize it. 
you know, to give you an example, exclusive psalmody, um, where, where you, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be exclusive psalmody. Some of the psalters, where where words are put are set to tunes, and the tunes really have nothing to do with the words. Hmm. So you're you know, you're singing maybe songs about judgment. You know, the Lord will judge all the armies. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. And it's just like what. Yeah. That just that needs to be in a minor key at least. Yes, yeah. it doesn't connect. <laughs> and so I, I think there is a place for a, a rightly chosen tune for a rightly chosen text. And of course, that's how a lot of hymns have come to us. They were written as texts. They were sung to a number of different tunes. And then one tune emerged as the one that was most popular. Amazing Grace would be you know one of the best examples yeah. of that. Before the throne of God above. You know, was was usually sung to Jerusalem before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. It's a beautiful tune. It's just hard to catch on to. Yeah, so Vicki Cook wrote before the throne of God above. And this beautiful tune that just so matches the words and makes you want to sing it. Mm. So music is important, but it, uh, the the way it's come down, Ken, in the last few years is uh, this saying that I developed after hosting a conference, a Worship God conference called The Glorious Christ. The subtitle was Music is Great, Jesus is Greater. Mm. Mm. And that succinctly you know, sums up what I think God wants our perspective to be and... Uh, I've, in the past couple of years, I've started signing off a lot of my emails. Keep making much of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Because I, think I heard you say once that the music is a terrible god, but a wonderful servant. Something to that effect. Yeah, yeah, yes, it, yeah. It is. It's a. It it can really help us. It can help serve the word, serve the truth of God, um, nurture our emotions for the things of Christ. But if it's ruling you, it's. Uh, it's it's leading you into idolatry. You know, it's not a mediator. Jesus is the mediator. So I think I I knew some of these things conceptually in the late '90s, early 2000s. I, they've I've seen more experientially how those things are true. And one of the ways I've seen it, and I think we did a uh, we did a, a multi-part podcast on this. Music is great. Jesus is greater. And I, I say this in there. One of the um, just again, again, I've talked to people who are songwriters, producers, musicians, music leaders in their church, and they are not living in the good of what they're singing about or writing about or producing. And their lives are a mess, you know, mm. prost- uh, uh, pornography, alcohol, immorality, anger, um, or even hopelessness, depression, you know. And it's just made me realize, you know, if if we're singing all these things about how Jesus is such a savior, but he doesn't look like such a savior in our lives, maybe we're thinking about music the wrong way. Yeah. And and maybe we're we're banking too much on that and not giving enough time to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because I yeah, you know, the longer I've done it, the more I've seen just Music's great, but Jesus is greater. I just didn't know. He's, do you, he's a real savior. Do you have a sense of how we even arrived at this place historically? You know, it's, it's part of our terminology, the worship pastor, you know, that yeah, worship yeah, and music become yeah. so synonymous. How did, how did that evolve to get to this point? 
it seems like it came out of the Jesus movement in the seventies where people were being so affected by music and using contemporary music. I mean, obviously there is a much broader uh, history to this. I, I'm almost finished the rise and triumph of the modern self yeah. by Carl Truman. And we're, um, we're interviewing him tomorrow. So pray for us. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we're, we're trying to make it through that book too. May, may the Lord have mercy on you. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, we've become an individually emotionalistic uh, people. Hmm. And what I value in my emotions is truth. And it's the most important thing. So I, I think without a lot of theological direction, people just co-opted that word worship. And uh, I think, you know, they were calling worship singing back in the 50s and 60s. Um, it just wasn't as prominent. But when you start injecting this mindset of, hey, it's all about my experience. Well, then worship is, is what I feel when something's happening and when, when, when do I have the best feel goods? Oh, when I'm singing, that's when it is, that must be worship. And I remember years ago reading a quote from engaging with God a book by David Peterson about how, you know, if you think that worship is, is uh, you know, a certain moment in the singing that you feel especially close to God, you are so far removed from the biblical truth and reality. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. Cause that's exactly what I think it is. So that was the late nineties. Um, and I think it's just become, you know, it's a, a part of the vocabulary. Uh, it's, it's short, it's shorthand, uh, which we've been trying to undo for the last 20, 30 years, uh, some of us, um, to uh, get people to the place where they realize, no, worship involves a lot of things. And it, it music can be a part of your worship to God, but if that's not a subset of your entire life, I don't think you quite understand what Jesus came to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of my favorite references for that is Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well, where he's, he's explaining, you know, this is what worship is, but there's no choirs, there's no lyres or timbrels or cymbals, <laughs> there's no organs, no electric guitars. It's, she's just talking to her, and he's talking about worship that's in spirit and in truth, which... I think refers to the worship that is empowered by the spirit and is in Christ. You know, it's, it's an embryonic Trinitarian um, instruction for how God receives our worship. Um, but there's no, there's no mention of music. Yeah. And yet God wants us to sing. So, you know, that's another conversation. Why does he want us to mm, sing? But, sure. Mm. Well, if I could just kind of shift the uh, the direction of the conversation just a little bit away from music specifically, uh, and just kind of more a little bit more broadly you know, through the years of being at Sovereign Grace and involving yourself in you know, the Christian conference world, you mentioned how you know sometimes at these conferences you got people coming from all kinds of different backgrounds, mm -hmm. theological traditions, etc. How have you navigated the choppy waters of Christians arguing about and even separating over secondary matters? Mm -hmm. Personally, or, uh, yeah, just yeah. how do I think about it? Yeah, I mean, you did mention uh, one of the things earlier about how in Sovereign Grace Ministries, you haven't looked to link arms with just anybody, yeah. right? Well, um, for and, music, yes, Sovereign Grace music. And that'd be true yeah. for them. yeah. And, and I'm sure you've been asked to play at conferences where you're, uh, <laughs> yep. maybe not, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
uh, navigate those things? It always helps to think of, uh, oh boy, there's so many ways I can answer that. Um, and we're not trying to get you in trouble. We should say that. No, so no, only I, say as much as you want. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I recognize that. Um, I, I, truth is important. Truth matters. Um, doctrine matters. Theology matters. I, I would be nowhere without, you know, good, solid biblical teaching. I, well, let's just put, I'd be in a bad place without it. Um, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for those who exposit the word faithfully. Uh, God is just, this is how I think about it. God is just as interested in how I communicate his truth. Maybe even more interested in that than the, the fact that I am communicating his truth. So that's, that's one, one point to keep in mind. How I communicate things matters. So if I communicate them arrogantly, if I communicate them self-righteously, if I, and Jesus had no room. No, he didn't, he didn't uh, speak kindly to those people who did that, who, you know, spoke in such a way that they were wise in their own sight. And, uh, you, you know, they, were, they, they spoke down and they spoke angrily. And how could they? I think we do a lot of that in our little echo chambers. Hmm. You know, um, one thing that being glad, one way that, that really served me was to expose me to so many different kinds of churches hmm. and recognize, wow, these people all say they love Jesus and they're following the Bible, but man, are they different. <laughs> okay, let's try and find out what's going on here. Now, one approach would be to say, well, you know, truth doesn't matter. Doctrine doesn't matter. It's just about Jesus. And that, that just doesn't work. You have to know what Jesus you're talking about. God did give us his word. He says, study to show yourself approved. You know, God's word matters. There is truth to be found because he's revealed it to us. So truth matters. So that's one approach. Say it doesn't matter. No, the other approach is to say, well, um, I'm... I'm wanting to, I think something's true, but I, I want to present it in a way that's, that's humble and kind. No reason why I can't do that. Second thing I try to remember is that I don't know everything and I've been wrong about things before. <laughs> the pretty fundamental things we often forget. It, huh? it is so, it's so obvious, but you know, that's the way our hearts work. We're just, we just are so, we're so easily deceived and mm. it, it came through, you recently, I was reading Romans 12, um, I mentioned it earlier, Paul in the list of, you know, th th ways he's talking about, you know, how we're to relate to those around us, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Um, you know, in verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. Hmm. And it just, it just came to me with such force. You know, Proverbs 26, 12, I think says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Hmm. So I, I don't think we take those seriously enough to, to recognize that as I'm, you know, communicating my convictions with force and intensity and maybe even mockery at times, you know, biting sarcasm, I, I may not know everything. I, I may have missed like an extenuating circumstance in the person I'm talking about or, or something. I may be taken out of context. 
context. Who cares about context anymore? You don't need context. You can just dive right into it. Um, <laughs> no, you do need context. And social media hasn't helped us because it's contextless. And, uh, you know, I would say that Twitter is not the place to work out arguments. It's a place to, you know, prove that you can be witty and smart and um, sharp and, you know, uh, put up defenses. But I mean, there, there are good uses for Twitter, but um, arguing out your point is not one of them. Uh, yeah. I was saying, someone asked me this the other day. I said, you know, what would you do? I have a pastor who's, who's really hot on Twitter. I said, tell him to write a blog. Write a blog post where you winsomely and carefully nuance your thought, nuance your thought, and then link to it. Because uh, we need more conversations of humble people. Now, granted, throughout church history, this has not always been the case. As you read about some of the guys who worked through some of these things, they weren't always the humblest people. Um, yeah. But that doesn't change how we're supposed to act. So thirdly, I just say, encourage what you can encourage. Stand firm on the things you can't. So if I disagree with someone or if I see two people disagreeing, I say, well, you have a good point there. You have a good point there. But you cannot say that hmm. because either you don't hmm. know the truth about it, you don't know the full truth, or it's just wrong. It's biblically wrong. Hmm. So that those are some of the ways I work through that and you know, try to encourage what Christ is doing, what God is doing in people as much as I can, because that's what I want people to do to me. I look yeah. at myself 30 years ago, I think, you're an idiot. I'm probably an idiot now. <laughs> I just don't know it. <laughs> Hopefully less of an idiot than I used to be. That's right. Well, uh, one last theological thing before we finish the conversation. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear your insights as this as a pastor at Sovereign Grace Church. Sovereign Grace it has been open about their openness regarding the continuation of sign gifts, the early that we see in the, the New Testament. You even gave John Piper a uh, prophetic song once upon a yes, time. I did. Uh, and I've seen, I've seen videos of you, uh, of spontaneous prophetic you, you songs. You can watch last Sunday's service at our church on YouTube. Okay. There you go. So, so how has that doctrinal conviction in yeah. particular affected ministry locally and ministry partnerships globally uh, as you've experienced yeah. it with music or otherwise? Man, Jeremy, that is, I really appreciate you asking that question. Um, it's a, it, it is a mystery to me how, uh, you know, I have been involved in things like the shepherds conference where John McCarthy has <laughs> clearly, clearly stated his case, uh, against the, the, the sign gifts. Um, and yet uh, he, you know, has asked me to uh, do it, lead there at various times. Uh, and I, and I find myself leading in a lot of places where, they would be outspokenly cessationist at times. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the way I've navigated that, and I had to think about this when I wrote Worship Matters um, back in 2008, 2007, um, We all believe there's a Holy Spirit, and uh, we better believe if we're Christians. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I want to I want to to tap into all the ground that we share, you know. So for me, that would be emphasizing how the Holy Spirit is active in every gathering of God's people. And if you don't believe that, you are you are not worshiping by the Spirit of God. You're worshiping in the flesh. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the Spirit of God that empowers what we do. So practically, yes. that means as people walk in the door and are greeted. You know, they might be encountering someone with the gift of hospitality. 
certainly as the message is being preached, hopefully that guy has the gift of preaching. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the different mechanics of the meeting uh, administratively, someone has the gift of administration, maybe a number of people, and are making that all work out. you know, the gift of the, the prophetic, I'll, t- I'll talk about all three gifts, um, you know, prophetic tongues and healing and just where we can, where we come down on those. And this would be me personally, specifically, but I, w- I think sure. I would say for sovereign grace, the prophetic gift, you know, Paul says in first Corinthians 14, that it is verse three, it's given. He says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. I look at that and I think those are really good things, upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So whatever that means, I think, okay, I'd like to do that. I'd like to, I'd like to prophesy because that, but I mean, that's all the gifts are are meant to, to, to do that in some way and to point to Christ and to make us aware that God's with us, because that's what happens First Corinthians 14, you know, when the unbeliever comes in, people are prophesying, and he says, God is surely among you. There's, there's an awareness. Um, so I'll say to people, you know, I, I, when it comes to prophecy, we don't, and if you watch the, the meeting from this last Sunday, I, I said before I sang this spontaneous song, I said, um, this is not like scripture. This is not like authoritative. This is not um, inerrant. It's not infallible. It's not for all time, you know, but I, we believe it's, it's a prophetic gift where God gives an impression that is an expression of his heart for the upbuilding of his people. And it's just like every gift that God gives. So I try to like demystify it as much as possible. And if it bears fruit, great. Um, and so I, I shared this song was, you know, about two minutes long, I guess. And it was about, God, people who felt they were, they wanted to hide from God because of their shame. And uh, a girl came up to me afterwards and just said, I have been, she waited for me because I was doing some things. She waited for me and said, I have been battling, uh, experiencing God's forgiveness about a year and a half um, for some things that I'd done. And I, I know God's forgiven me, but I just want you to know when you sang that song, I know I'm forgiven. I experience God's forgiveness. So thank you for being faithful. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps as I share that mm-hmm. because I didn't plan that. I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I just want to do something that's going to build up the church. I don't do that every week. I, you know, it just came, that thought came to me. That's how we'd interpret prophecy, at least musically, or it might mm-hmm. be someone in the congregation shares an impression. We always run it through a pastor. They, they, they share it. And, you know, it's not uh, predictive in the sense of, um, you know, you, you know, in, in a month, this church is going to be whatever. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, There's no scheduled charismatic revival. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and there's just a lot of stuff that goes on in the name of prophecy um, yeah. that is, is really unhelpful. I think generally the church is going to work in that upbuilding, kind of God revealing something to people that's very timely or very personal could be either one of those. Um, and so that's how we, that's how we would view it. Not, let me make my full case, not that a prophecy couldn't be predictive, but it's, it would have to be proven. You know, it's not like, Oh, that's what the Lord's doing. Oh, we're going then we're, you know, I'm moving this church to Indiana. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, no, hold on, hold on. <laughs> That's not how it works here. Um, you know, now it might be that, you know, over a period of years, it, things develop and it turns out, you know, the church moves to Indiana and then you go back to that person and say, wouldn't you know it, that what you were sensing was true. But we don't see it as authoritative in that sense. So we found cessationists in our church who say, I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with what yeah. you're doing. And yeah. uh, because we hold the Bible in, in it's sufficient. Uh, but w- what we just say is God has revealed himself to us in scripture, but he doesn't confine himself to that in terms of the way he interacts with us. Now, everything's judged by scripture. You don't, you don't mm-hmm. go do something and go, yeah, that's the Lord. No, it, it, the Bible speaks against that. Uh, mm-hmm. That can't be the Lord. Um, so it's it's the belief that God really is with us he, mm-hmm. by His Spirit, and He will 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 give impressions that in different ways, different times, a picture that will encourage the body of Christ and point them to what God has done for us in Christ. Yeah. So I'm I'm going on really long. The others will be really short. Healing, we probably pray just like everybody else does. Um, we we believe God heals people. We give Him credit when He does. And uh, we we don't believe all people are healed. And um, you're not selling vials of oil in the bookstore. And we're definitely not selling like vials of oil <laughs> in the bookstore. <laughs> you know, as I read as I read the, the Book of Acts, and just think, yeah, if they just touched his garment, and I think, wow, that really was the case. Um, that you know that that was happening. I don't think that's happening right now. I don't know if it could happen like in a third world country or, but we're not claiming that we don't, yeah. you know, it's just, you, you don't want to be arrogant about the gifts, They're gifts. We receive them and they're for the glory of Christ. And that's with every gift, not just the sign gifts. And then tongues. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand tongues exactly. But, um, <laughs> we, that's refreshing. Honesty. Well, we, I like that. We haven't had a, you know, we've never had a tongue in our church with interpretation in our church. Uh. We would see two different classes, private prayer tongues. I do pray in tongues at times. Um, and then a public uh, tongue, which would be interpreted. I've seen it done at times and it has been, I've been amazed. I've been asking Lord, why would you do this? And, and, it's to God, it's to exalts Christ. And, but it's pretty rare. And I think that's one of those things that um, like Paul was saying to the Corinthians, you know, don't make this the focus of the spirit's work. So we haven't, you know, I think in the charismatic movement of the seventies, it was, it was the focus, you know, and a lot mm-hmm. of people would say you aren't filled with the Holy spirit unless you speak in tongues. Hmm. And we don't believe that. Um, we, we don't, uh, pray for people to speak in tongues. We, we pray that they be filled with the spirit and we pray regularly that people be filled with the spirit. Um, and you would have, I think some people in sovereign grace churches who might feel a little more, think a little more charismatically than that, but that's okay. We're, we're, we're good with that. Um, but it's not going to become an issue of no, it's, Never happens. This doesn't happen. It no. it just doesn't seem to be something that God's emphasizing right now, and we're good with that because He's doing so much more. Mm. And uh, you know, if there was a time when that seemed to be there, it seemed to be a reason for that, and it was having a you know fruit. There was fruit from it. Well, great. Um, so that's probably why you know John MacArthur might be okay with this. 
<laughs> I'm not sure. I've never asked it. <laughs> yeah. Don't bring it up. Yeah. Don't bring it up. No, no. I mean, I, I think he, John would be concerned about the same things we're concerned about. And that yeah. would be. Uh, Does you, that kind of conversation come up in the green room backstage? No, uh, it never has that, for me. Okay. No. Okay. Uh, All right. see, uh, I don't think so. Um, okay. Yeah. Probably a little too awkward for everybody, huh? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's um, we 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 center around Jesus. We gather around Jesus and His yeah. Word, and uh, that's that's where we know we are in absolute solidarity. It's mm-hmm. and you love you love it when you find people like that, which is another thing that's probably made us able to to partner with people that you might say, well, why would you partner with them? I mean, they don't agree with mm-hmm. that. Well, they agree mm-hmm. on the most important things. Mm-hmm. So I hope that's helpful. Uh, I hope it, I don't know if I offended anybody, but that's that's where we're at. Yeah, we're we're very appreciative that you sharing. So and, and we're very grateful. You've been very generous with your time. We have one question left. Um, in in your article, uh, sharing reflections on turning sixty a few years back, you oh, stated, wow. uh, "We can never be more than faithful." Is the quote mm. there? And we we mm. check Google, and as far as we can tell, you're the only one that's ever said that exact <laughs> phrase on the internet. <laughs> So, <laughs> here you are, uh, uh, age 66. Do you have any more thoughts to share about that concept? Uh, well, I did read uh, part of um, um, Tim Keller's Center Church where he, he talks about being, being faithful is enough. You need to be thinking about being fruitful as well. Mm. And um, I, I appreciate that emphasis because you can think you're being faithful mm. and not doing much to consider how there might be areas where you're not doing things well and could be more fruitful. You know, guys who just plod away at, you know, giving sermons every week and they're dull and they're dry and they're boring. And, you know, but I'm being faithful. Well, you, you might, you might ask about the fruit. Um, So, so that'd be the only nuance I'd give to that. Just in being faithful, that implies a constant looking back to scripture, to, to those around you and asking, am I, am I doing this the best way I can? And am I, am I, you know, thinking about these things rightly? Am I taking advantage of the tools that, that God has given me and the, the, those that he's put around me? But, but I'd, but I'd stand by the original thing, which is, yeah. you know, um, we're not the originators. We're not the creatives. We're not the initiators of all this. God is, it's his world. It's his story. He, he just, he just put us in it Mm. and uh, what an honor it is to know the one who created and redeemed us. And, Mm. you know, he's, he's not looking for surprises from us. He's, he's, there's nothing he hasn't thought of. Um, He he knows it all. And so what I want to do is to be faithful, to listen to him, faithful, to hear him, faithful, to respond to the power that he's given me. And I want to hear on that last day, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's the aim is just to, to glorify him, to, to, to give back to him what he has so graciously given to us. Amen. Well, that's a good word. Bob Coughlin, thank you for joining oh, us today. Thank you guys for a delightful time. I hope it was delightful for you. I had a good time. <laughs> good. Yeah. Oh, we did. We certainly yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Man. Um, great, very grateful for uh, what you're doing and for the questions uh, you asked. And allow me to answer them. And I pray that yeah, people yeah. were encouraged. Amen. Amen. Amen.